You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Welcome, everybody, for a little different version of that video we've been seeing for a few weeks. But glad you're here with us today, and happy Sunday. My name is Morgan. I'm the lead pastor. If you're new here, uh, before we get going, just want to give you a quick update on one thing. You may know that a few weeks ago, we received kind of a global relief offering. You may have seen that in your email to help folks who are uh, Afghani refugees affected by Hurricane Ida and our neighbors in Louisiana, and then also for Haitians affected by all they've been affected by. So I just want to say thank you. To everybody who participated in that, we've been able to give to organizations and people on the ground in each of those three locations. And today, I especially want to highlight one of them in particular, it's Mission of Hope. They work with the ongoing crisis in Haiti, and so uh, that's obviously a very delicate, ongoing thing, but they are there working with those who are suffering. So uh, if you want to make a difference there, Mission of Hope in Haiti, you can go onto our website, our drop-down giving menu option, and go from there, and we'd appreciate it. All right? So here we go. Our time in God's Word. Our scripture reading today is going to be from Exodus chapter 15. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. Oh, but you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who's like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you've redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they'll be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You'll bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. And when Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked to the sea on dry ground Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He is hurled into the sea. It's the reading of God's word. All his people said, Amen. Amen. Yeah. Mozambique is a nation in Southeast Africa. Don't know if you've heard of it, been there, seen it, but there it is, Southeast Africa. And uh, back in the year 2000, a giant flood 
You may remember the headline. It, it swept through. Uh, it wiped out homes and lives and the water. Didn't go down for days. For days, that nation was a sea of death. But one woman named Miss Pedro climbed into a tree for safety when the floods wiped out her home. And many of her relatives, including her grandmother, were killed. There's, you can see her getting rescued there. But three days later, while she was still up there, still in her tree, something incredible happened. Miss Pedro gave birth to a baby girl up in that tree. And there you can see she's getting rescued. Life was born on a tree. Come on, somebody. Three days later surrounded by, in a place surrounded by pain and, and suffering. Now, not only is that an incredible true story, but that story is also, I think, a picture of where a lot of people are. A lot of Americans are, a lot of Christians are, where you may be right now today. Because over the, eight, the last 18 months or so, it's been in a lot of ways, it's been like a sea of death. It's covered our nation. I've seen more waters sweep over families, things like divorce spike, uh, discouragement, depression spike, suicide attempts spike, more water sweep over businesses, over relationships, water sweep over the church of Jesus. It's been like a, a sea of death and all of that disruption, uh, distancing, uh, division, it was devastating in all kind of ways, but especially devastating, I think one way in particular. That sea of death that's covered us has been devastating to the formation, to the building of, and the keeping of community. Community. And yet, and yet, just like with Miss Pedro up in that tree, sometimes moments of incredible pain can give rise to new life in unexpected ways. After all, she went up in that tree by herself, all alone, separated in order to survive. But she came down part of a new community. She came down unexpectedly connected, though she went up alone. And so I don't know where you are today. I don't know why you're here today. But I do know where you're from today. You are from a place that starts with California, ends with IA. Uh, but I don't know what kind of a tree, maybe, you've gone up into. Maybe it's COVID tree, social distancing tree, racial political tension tree, uh, social anxiety re-entry kind of tree, just, you've gone, just for the sake of survival. But I do know two things. Number one, no matter why you're up there, you weren't meant to stay up there alone for forever. And number two, I think God wants to bring you new life today, maybe in an unexpected way through the gift of connection and community. So that's what we're talking about today in our series. As you saw, it's called Differently the Same. We've been taking a look, going to continue to take a look at our same core values at Mosaic of worship, community, and mission, and seeing how they connect to our different, right now, unique cultural moment. And today, we're taking our second look at our value of community through the life of someone named Moses. Because, after all, in a way, Moses was sort of the original community builder. Hmm? Last week we saw him at the Red Sea give birth to a people, give birth to a nation, to a new community. And as after they passed through that sea of death of their own, they become a people. This week we're going to see how he sustains this new community that's been formed. How does Moses sustain this new community? Well, what's the first thing he does after his people are formed? Come on. Yeah, somebody said it. He sings. 
He sings. Ever thought about it like that? The first thing Moses does to form, shape, keep his people is to sing. It's called the Song of the Sea. And we're going to look at it today and ask this question. And some of us are coming down out of our trees today, maybe, as we're getting connected, reconnected in new ways. What do we need then to sustain and build our new lives? All right? Here's my question. How do we build and sustain community Exodus 15, I think, is going to show us. It's three ways, through three ways we're going to see today. It's through, number one, through the songs that we sing, through the stories that we tell, and through the people that we celebrate. The songs we sing, the the stories we tell, the people we celebrate. Let's begin here, right here, number one, and take a look at the songs we sing. Verse one, chapter 15. Then Moses and the, and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I'll sing to the Lord. He's highly exalted. The horse and driver he's hurled into the sea. So Moses begins the song of the sea by talking about how God saved his people from what looked like certain death. And then he sings right away in verse 2 something fascinating. He sings this. The Lord is my strength and my defense. Now you're like, well, that looks strange. Morgan looks pretty normal, right? Typical. No, no. In the Hebrew, it's pretty tricky. And almost every single translation translates that line differently. Uh, so I'm going to also then, congratulations and you're welcome, give you my own sort of version, the NMV, the new Morgan version. And you're welcome as always to fact check this, research this for yourself. And if you disagree, you can send that email as always to Pastor Barnabas uh, because he is going to love it. It's Barnabas at Mosaic Church Office. Austin.com. Oh. It's got a tiny little complaint box right there. It's, it's, it's a, like one a year. Really, you could translate verse two as this phrase, actually a phrase. The Lord is the power of my song. The Lord is the power of my song. What's Moses doing here? Put it like this. Moses is doing something that builds community. He's doing art as evangelism. Art as evangelism. What do I mean? All right. Hopefully you know the name, if you don't, now you do, of John Coltrane, the great jazz musician. I like Coltrane quite a lot. Hope you do too. Uh, He had a relationship with God, actually, and wanted to express that through his music. And he said this in an interview. He said, quote, overall, the main thing I think a musician would like to do is give a picture to the listener of the many wonderful things he knows and senses in the universe. That's what I would like to do. I think that's one of the great things he can do in life. And we all try to do it in some way. The musicians is through his music. So he's saying he wants to give you, me, the listener, something meaningful, something rich, deep, uh, that connects to the universe. In his own way, he's saying art can be is evangelism. Now, what I mean when I say evangelism is not what I think you might think, I think you think, I think mean When I say evangelism, I don't mean the stereotype of some fundamentalist screaming at you on a street corner or somebody trying to browbeating you into something that you don't want to believe anyway. No, no. What I mean is what the word literally means. The word evangelism literally means good news. Good news. Euangelion in the Greek. It's good news. The art and especially music can be good news. It can lift the soul. It can give the soul hope where there is none. And sometimes it can even provide an unexpected connection to the heart of God, to the divine himself. Why is this important? Follow me. Uh, Stephen Jay Gould is a famous Harvard paleontologist, devout atheist up to his death. He said this. He said, quote, once upon a time, he said to the question, why are we here? He said this. We're here. You're here. We're here. Because one odd group of fishes 
had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures because the earth never froze entirely during an ice age because a small and tenuous species, he means people, humans, arising in Africa a quarter of a million years ago has managed so far to survive by hook and by crook. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. All right, pretty bleak. And the gold, gold saying humans were here by accident. And because we're here by accident, there's no purpose in life. There's no meaning. And ultimately, there's no hope. We may yearn for it. Oh, we really wish it were there. But sorry, folks, we're fresh out of hope. Contrast that with something that someone said by the name of Ashley Kahn. Ashley Kahn is a music critic. Uh, he's an author, and he wrote a book about Coltrane's greatest album. The book and the album are called A Love Supreme. And he said this. Is it con? As I listened to the album again and again, I felt compelled to address Coltrane's impassioned spirituality. Though I consider myself an agnostic and a diehard rationalist, I'm ready to admit there is much that can seem to be the handiwork of some eternal force under spiritual direction. Did you catch that? He says, when I listen to music, specifically Coltrane, though I don't even want to hear God, and I don't believe God exists, God still talks to me. God still talks to me. He's saying, though my mind tells me there's no God, no meaning, no hope, no purpose, yet my heart tells me something else. There is meaning, truth. There is a love supreme. That is art as evangelism. That is art as good news. And that's what M.C. Moses is doing right here. He's, he's bringing his people together with a song about God's salvation. So before I go on, I'll close this thought like this. For those of you who are artists in here today, so glad for you, grateful for you. Austin's an art city, music city in a lot of ways. You want to be an artist in here. Part of what contributes to a great community is good art, good music, good literature. Don't quit on it. The songs we sing, we want to sing, we need to sing. The stuff you write, you create, you paint, you carve, you edit, film, those are important. And so I would hope that you would declare, artists among us, like Moses, the Lord is my powerful book. The Lord is the, my powerful film. The Lord is the power of my song. The Lord is the power of my dance, what I create. And so when we do that now, art becomes evangelism. It's good news for the world that there's hope and beauty. And hope and beauty are a big part of what brings people together. We build community through the songs we sing. Number two, it's also, though, at the same time, by and through the stories that we tell, and specifically, here's what I mean. It's through the stories that we tell ourselves. Stories we tell ourselves. Let me try to show you what I mean. What's this story being told here in the song? Let's look. Moses goes on, sort of middle of the song. Lyric, lyrics go like this. The enemy, what's the word? Boasted, yeah. I'll pursue, overtake, divide, gorge, draw my sword, and destroy <laughs> So Moses is recounting the mindset of Pharaoh, okay? And he describes the mindset with that single word, boasting. Like, Pharaoh, you're a braggity dude. How'd that work out for you? Why is Moses sort of kind of trolling Pharaoh's bragging? It's because when, when you think about it, and when you read Exodus up to this point, you can see it for yourself. <laughs> Every, it's like a joke. Every bad and evil thing Pharaoh ever did backfired on him. 
backfired on him. Literally, every choice he makes brings about the opposite of what he intended. What happened when, the, when Pharaoh subjugated the Israelites? Did they grow weaker? No, they grew stronger. They literally multiplied past his ability to control. And when the enslavement bit, when that wasn't working, what did he do? Well, then he made a law that all the Hebrew baby boys should be killed as population control. But because he created that law, he therefore created the conditions that would bring about Moses, <laughs> who would defeat him in the end. Moses' mom only had to put him on the river because of the law causing him to be adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, pulled into the palace, therefore given, you know, the finest education and leadership development available in the world because Pharaoh made the law. See, by trying to kill them, Pharaoh created the very conditions that would free them. And finally, here in the desert, Pharaoh's army only goes out after Israel because Israel looks vulnerable. In uh, chapter 14, God said, don't go in a direct route. Kind of, kind of meander. Take a, take a walk, you know, to see if Pharaoh's going to take the bait. And Pharaoh did take the bait. And because he took the bait and sent out his army, now they're completely destroyed, which only helps Israel further. Now they get to the other side of the Red Sea with a giant you can't touch this gold chain around their necks. You saw it. Edom's going to freak out. Canaan's going to be worried. Philistia is going to be nervous when they see us. Why? Because God rescued us and drowned them. Thanks a lot, Pharaoh. Yeah, that's right. So in one sense, Moses is sort of saying, Pharaoh, you boasted and it backfired. But I don't think Moses is only talking to Pharaoh. I think he's really talking to his people yeah. and to us. And here's how, because the story goes on. He said, oh, but God. How many of you love a but God in your story? Come on. But God blew with his breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead, like they didn't have a chance in the mighty waters. So seen through another lens here, Moses' lyrics are a loving rebuke to the story that the people had been telling themselves. What's that? It's by pointing out Pharaoh's failure and God's victory. Moses is saying this to the Israelites. Hey, y'all. He's kind of half Texan. Now can you see? Wasn't God working the whole time Pharaoh was boasting? People would have been like, yeah, Moses. So who got that last laugh? Was it Pharaoh or God? It was God, Moses. Moses is getting a little sarcastic. He does that. This is in keeping with his character, by the way. Just read the Pentateuch. So even though we were facing the worst circumstances, God was still at work. Yes, Moses. Even though our babies were being killed, and that was really bad, was God still using all of that to bring us our freedom? Yes, Moses. So is this your, is this your story? Yes, Moses. One more time, did God or Pharaoh get the last laugh? God did. So you're saying then all God had to do was blow with his breath, breathe out a little, and Egypt was defeated. Yes, Moses. So why were you telling yourselves the wrong story? What do you mean, Moses? What do you mean? What do I mean, people? Right after the moment God delivered you all, right after the moment the Red Sea was parted, this was the story you were telling yourselves. Exodus 14. You said it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Come on, y'all. Moses is like, you were saying you were dead before you were even dead. But you weren't dead, and you didn't die. They'd have been like, oh yeah, Moses, okay, oh yeah, yeah, about that. And Moses was like, okay, so you're saying, you're saying, you had seen already 10 plagues 
But there you were, standing out in the desert, free, telling yourself somehow the untrue story that God had brought you out just to let you down. That's what you were doing, right? Yeah, yeah Moses. See, but you know what happened was, no, 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 Moses is like, you're going to hear me out. I, I'm the one with the talking stick here, all right? Israel, he's sort of implying it. What would have been the most likely outcome, given all the evidence that you had of what was going to happen while you were standing there at the Red Sea? Moses would be like, I think what would have made the most sense is this. You should have thought, God's just going to send an 11th plague or something. We've seen 10. Why not 11? 11th plague, we're going to be good. Because remember what we all saw, right? Moses is saying here. We saw flies, locusts, gnats. Like you name it. There's a sea creature, land creature. We've seen it. So maybe, maybe you could have at least thought God's going to send like some grouchy lizards out there or something, you know? We haven't seen grouchy lizards. So yeah, maybe lizards. Or maybe like, like a flock of seagulls. Sorry, 80s reference, music reference. All right. Three people laughed. Great. Not a flock of seagulls, like a flock of giant vultures, like, you know, Nazgul and Lord of the Rings meets the Old Testament, you know, like a bunch of angry birds. Oh, wait, that's taken. Is that taken, Moses? Like, no, no, it's not taken yet. You can use that. Grouchy lizards, angry birds, ask your kids, whatever. Surely an 11th plague is coming. That would have been logical, reasonable, evidence-based. But you didn't tell yourselves that story all about the God who only had to blow his breath. You're saved. Instead, Moses is like, y'all were telling yourselves a different story. You told yourself that God didn't love you, didn't care about you. You weren't going to make it. And because God didn't love you, that meant somehow I didn't love you. And therefore, you should just go back to your old life. That's what you were telling yourselves. But God had different plans, see. Why, 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 why do we do? Why do you do this? Come on, why do I do this? I, I think we do this when we've just been beaten down for so long. Feelings of rejection, worthlessness, defeat are all we know. And some of us, that's what we've come to believe about ourselves, especially over the last 18 months. Those kind of feelings, death, defeat, despair, it's all we know. We think I'm worthless. No one sees me. I'm not going to make it. No one cares about me. Even God doesn't care about me. I should just quit and give up and go home and leave. Let me ask you, what's the story you've been telling yourself about your situation? Hmm? Is it a bad one? Like, God doesn't care about me. God's abandoned me. I can't do it. I won't make it. Maybe it's this one. My child died. Where was God? My spouse was unfaithful to me. Where was God? I've been overlooked, betrayed by people who should have known better. Where was God? Yeah. Now, if that's you and you feel that way, let me encourage you. You should be brutally honest with God and tell him that. I've done that, I had to do that. It's remarkably helpful, helpful. But if that is you, allow me also to be Moses here for just a second and remind you of something I think you, you probably already know but need to know again, and it's this. When you tell yourself the wrong story, you just might miss your miracle. You tell yourself the wrong story, you might miss your miracle. Because I've found with people, a lot of times it's a short step, like where these people were coming from, from God doesn't care about me to Moses doesn't care about me See, my tribe, my family, they don't care about me either, so I'm going back to Egypt. And when you go back to Egypt, you miss whatever God's got in store for you. See, in the same way today in churches, in your life, it's a short step from God doesn't care about me to my 
church doesn't care about me, to like pastor doesn't care about me, to my community group doesn't care about me, to my family doesn't care about me, to why am I even here? I'm going back there to despair, to pity, self-pity. The other woman, the other man, video games, couch, porn, weed. We use these things, right? And now the community around you is weakened. It's thin. It's not as good without you. And you, you miss what God wants to do in your life because you've forgotten his heart towards you. See, when you tell yourself the wrong story about the heart of God for you, you end up not only hurting yourself, but also the people around you. So I want to tell you today, tell you today, exhort you just for a moment, the best way to grow the community I think you want and want to be a part of is to reinforce the true story of God's love and heart for you, people that you love. That God loves me. You should say that to yourself. God loves me. He will deliver me. God loves you. He will deliver you. Don't quit. Don't give up, you. Your best is yet to come. Listen, that builds people. That story sustains, like Moses is doing, your family and your community. So let's practice for a moment telling ourselves that same story today. Just for a moment, we got a little self-confession again for you today. Two weeks in a row. You're welcome. Here we go. We're going to say this out loud. Just four little lines with me. Say this. God will deliver me. God is able. I reject the untrue story that God doesn't love me. My enemy may boast, but God gets the last word. Yeah. Say, how can I know that's true? It felt kind of nice. <laughs> Say, how can I know it's true? Here's why. Because there is a better story, a truer story, a better way to know this is true than even Moses had. It's a better story that can maybe even help you get down out of whatever tree you've been in today. And you could see that story, better, truer story, by seeing this. Number three, by seeing the people that we should and ought to celebrate. Look at verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver, he's hurled into the sea. Let me ask you this. What kind of person do you think God sees and celebrates? Hmm? I think a lot of times we don't know, and we get it confused because we're confused by what the world around us tells us is the kind of person that ought to be seen and celebrated. Usually the world around us only sees, sings, celebrates the super rich, right? Super powerful, uh, super wealthy, super hot. Come on. But the world around us says, you know, no, it's the celebrities and the superstars that are the somebodies. But Exodus tells us a different story. It tells us that God's grace actually flows. He sees the weak, the powerless, and that when God delivers, a lot of times, maybe all the time, he does his best work through the weak, the unseen, and the powerless. Because let's ask, what kind of people have been the heroes so far in Exodus? Come on, let's keep score. Okay, here we go. You'll notice in Exodus, in God's salvation story, it's always the women. First, it's Shipra and Pua, chapter one, the Egyptian women. They are midwives for the Hebrew women. They risk execution. They defy the state in an act of civil disobedience to bring life to the babies. And God blesses them for it. Then there's Moses' mother, 
She hatches a plan to save Moses' life. Then there's Pharaoh's daughter, religious outsider. Her heart becomes softened by seeing that vulnerable baby in the Nile River. She doesn't turn him over to the authorities. And then there's, there's Miriam, Moses' older sister, who works with his mom to save his life and who here is specifically honored with her own song. And unlike Moses' song where everybody kind of sings along together, here Miriam sings alone. Everyone hears her voice. The point is, time after time, women are the heroes here. And not just any women. It's foreign women, activist women, young women. Mothers are the heroes here. Where are the men? <laughs> well, first, first there's Pharaoh. Exactly. Somebody said who? Exactly. Because he's nameless, by the way. Midwives have names. The cities have names. All the family members get names. Pharaoh, like, is he, is he Ramsey's this, Ramsey's that? He gets no name. Why? It's a storytelling device designed to show you just a, like Pharaoh is nameless before Moses. He'll be powerless before God when they meet face to face. But then, of course, there's, there's Moses who has an amazing moment for sure last week, chapter 14, but he almost wrecked God's plan a few times along the way because of his lack of character. There's Aaron kind of a mess, golden calf, right? You can't quite figure out where he stands. The point is, God here, he's got to kind of work despite the men. At the heart, the point is, of its seminal passage of how God delivers, we're given strong, resourceful, feminist heroes. Over and over again. This isn't being politically correct. Come on, it's not. It's just true. It's just true. We love men here. At a big event yesterday. Come on, men, you're not left out. What kind of a story, what kind of a story is this? It's the same kind of story that happens over and over throughout the Bible. That the biblical God is a God who works through the weak. Those who seem vulnerable, who appear voiceless. God saves many times, not through the super rich, super powerful, super hot, but through the super weak, super marginalized. Why does he do this? For two reasons. Number one, to show you, first of all, in God's economy, God's story Nobodies are never nobodies. Not only nobodies, because someone culture's labeled on that. Nobodies are always a somebody. And so if you're here and you've felt today, maybe all your life, or especially over the last 18 months, that God doesn't see you, let this story, this revelation, torpedo that lie and replace it with the true story of God's heart towards you. Let go of what someone else has even said about you. Yeah. Believe this. God celebrates the least of these. And so... Before I finish, let me just take a moment to celebrate actually a few people at Mosaic. I want to thank all of our current team members, those who have said yes to serving you, us all, at week in and week out. Week out. They're not getting paid for it. They may be and feel unseen, but they're not. I see them. I hope you do too. And thanks to all of you who said yes last week out in the lobby to saying yes to being part of that group. We celebrate you. Without you, we wouldn't be here. You all, men and women, you're our shippers. You're our puas. You're our Pharaoh's daughters. You're our Miriams. But the reason number one is true, that God always sees what the world doesn't, is really because you can know it's true because of number two. Because while... Yeah, in a way, the story is about Moses. In the end, it's really about someone else. I mean, come on, let me ask you. Do the stories of the women and Moses, do they remind you of someone else? They should. Because a long time after this, 
another powerful and evil ruler also had the nation of Israel under his thumb, and yet under his nose, another baby boy was born who would one day grow up to be the liberator of his people. There was another liberator born also of two places, two homes, two cultures, and this liberator was also rejected by his people, had to go out into the wilderness to meet God's spirit, be anointed by God's power, and was sent back into the nation in which he grew. See, the story points us ultimately not to the women or to Moses, but to a greater Moses. But unlike Moses, whose life was only risked on a river, Jesus Christ gave his life on a cross for you, for you. Moses was sentenced to death, but he escaped. Jesus was sentenced and didn't. He gave his life. There were no daughter's arms to receive him. No mother's plan that could save him. Moses was drawn out of the Nile. That's what his name means, drawn out. But Jesus suffered and drowned under the weight of all the brutality, the evil, the injustice of humanity so that our punishment could go to him so that now his freedom song could come to us. Song could come to us, could be ours. So that we could tell ourselves now the better, true, right story of God's love for us, that he has proven himself in an undisputable and forever way that he loves us. And number three, so that we could really celebrate, celebrate what the world doesn't, that the least of these are really the greatest in the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of kingdom, group, community, church, I think I'd like to be a part of along with you. Let me take a moment and pray for you. Jesus, we come to you today, and I'm praying especially and specifically for all of us who's been stuck up in that tree somehow. Water's come through, we had to go up just to survive. And yet, there's somehow there's this unexpected new life that you want to bring us. And I'm praying today as some of us would come down, come out, get reconnected, connected. Our hearts would tell us the right story. The people here who, who, who love us there's a God who loves us. There's a God who gave his life for us. We can sing a new song. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I'm struggling with telling myself the right story about how God feels about me, would you raise your hand right now? Right here in this place, online, at home, wherever you are, listening today, tonight, tomorrow. Would you raise your hand? Say, God, I need to know how you feel about me. I'm having a hard time, God. Would you show me Jesus again? The gospel again? Lord, I'm praying for all those hands raised especially that the truer and better story of Jesus of Nazareth, God's ultimate and final liberator, would free our hearts from every lie and untrue story. And we come to know that we belong and that you see us and celebrate us today. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.